1: When Saul inquired of the Lord, God answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. What does that mean? That means by the breastplate inquiring of God, putting his hand on the breastplate of righteousness, the Mishpat hoshen, and God would direct the kings of Israel into their destinies on how God was going to win the war. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And then the prophets no longer spoke. So when we stop hearing the prophetic word, when God stops directing our destiny prophetically and the Urim represents the word, when we no longer hear God speaking to us through the power of the revelation and illumination of his word, something's wrong somewhere. That means that the anointing is beginning to lift off of our life. And it's the beginning of a Tisha the loss of the presence of God. But tonight, hallelujah, we are worshiping the Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 1. In Second Samuel chapter 1, we see that this is the death of Saul. And we are going to see that David laments the death of Saul. But he's not going to lament the death of Saul in the sense that Saul is gone. He is lamenting the loss of the anointing on Saul's life. He is lamenting that Atishabab took place in the life of this man who was called by God, who was God's anointed who lost the anointing are you with me if you are say amen looking at first samuel chapter second samuel chapter 1 beginning in verse 17 is the lamentations that uh, are given by David David concerning Saul's death. And I will read it to you. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 1.17, the Bible says, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. Now, beloved, notice it says, hallelujah. He lamented with this lamentation over Saul and his son. Now, I want you to see in the verses, the Bible tells us three times, which we will just quote in verse 25 and in verse 27. And we also see that the scripture is saying that he is saying how the mighty have fallen. And I want you to see, notice verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Verse 27, he says it again. How how the mighty are fallen and the weapons of war are perished. Notice he's not lamenting over Saul's life, he is lamenting over the fact that he lost the battle because he was the anointed of God and he should have won the battle. Hello, somebody. He is lamenting over a Tishab that happened in the life of Saul. I don't know about you, but I don't want a Tishabb in my life. I want to fulfill my ministry. I want to fulfill what God has called me to do. Hallelujah, and somebody out to shout the victory. Notice, beloved saints, as we look at the word of God in 2 Samuel chapter 1, stay there in the lamentation that Saul uh, Saul weeping, uh, excuse me, David weeping over Saul. Verse 21, I want you to see verse 21. It says, notice, ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew neither let there be rain nor fields of offerings for there the shield of the mighty is cast vilely away the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil so the whole lamentation of weeping over Saul is that he lost the anointing it's as if he was not anointed with oil he went out to battle without the anointing and I want you to know that is a tissue when we go out to battle without the presence of God when we go out to try to fight demonic spirits without being in the will of God and without the anointing on our life we can experience a personal dish above in our own life and somebody ought to shout the victory hallelujah so the question is what does it look like when we are so close to Tishabov? And that in, in our own lives. And so, beloved saints, tonight I also want you to see, in a personal prophetic sense, one of the greatest examples of a Tisha B'av and how Tishabav happens. Number one, we saw Saul is the classic example of losing the anointing. All right. So losing the anointing is is spiritually synonymous with losing the presence of God. And that's what Tishabob is all about. He consulted the he he inquired of the Lord. He received no word from dreams. He received no word from the high priest consulting at the Urim as we saw in verse 6 of second of first Samuel chapter 28. And he did not get any words from any prophets. Everything was dead, gone, no word. And that, that means in our own lives, when we can't hear from God anymore, when everything is so empty, we need to check it out. It's a sign. Say this with me. These are warnings that it could be that we are near. A time in our life that a could be near. That means the loss of the presence of God. We don't want to do that. We want to pray the presence in. We don't want to lose the presence of God. Okay, so how does this happen? This is a very serious issue. This isn't just something that happens overnight. So how does it actually happen in a life? How does the glory of God and the anointing lift in stages? Look, if you will, at Judges chapter 16. In Judges chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, we are going to see that Samson, who was God's anointed at the time, he was actually filled with the spirit of the Lord. He was one of the greatest judges, but he lost it. He lost the anointing. He lost the presence of God. And the Bible tells us that he woke up and it was gone. Notice what it says. It says, she made him sleep on her knees And she called, this is Delilah, and she called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. And look at verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up out of his sleep and he said, I will go out like other times and shake myself. But he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. So how did he get to that place? How many of you would like to wonder, how did Samson get to the place of not even knowing that God had lifted from his life? This is what happens when there is a tish above upon us that we become so spiritually conditioned to captivity and compromise that we no longer sense when God is not present because compromise is the enemy of God. God's presence. Let's look at this a little more detailed, if we may. Okay, so I'm going to go over, let's go over to Judges chapter 16. I want you to see this, beloved saints, in God's word. Looking at Judges chapter 16. Let us look just for a moment. And we know, we're going to explain just for a moment about Samson's life because Samson was one of the judges. The Bible tells us when Samson was born, before he was born, the angel of the Lord, in in Judges chapter 13, the angel of the Lord came to his mother, and his mother was announced to by the angel that she was going to have a son, and that all the days of his life, no razor could touch his head, and that he would be a Nazarite from his mother's womb, and the Bible tells us, notice how it's connected. Being a Nazarite is connected to delivering the Philistines. Say this with me. Being a Nazarite is connected to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Say with me. Being a Nazarite is connected that she, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. See that? Okay. Israel, for the first time since they came out of Egypt, was under the longest, strongest bondage of the Philistines, 40 years. Okay, in the book of Judges, we see captivity, Israel. We see in Judges chapter uh, six, Israel was under captivity of the Midianites seven years. In Judges chapter four, Israel was under the captivity of um, uh, under the captivity of the Canaanites for eighteen for twenty years, and uh, uh, Jabin the Canaanite king. But in the time of Samson. Israel was under the captivity of the Philistines 40 years. Okay, this captivity was so strong that Samson... Alone in his generation could not break the power. That's why it says he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So his mission was to strike the strongholds and shake it up and break the power of the Philistines so that the next generation would drive them out. Do you see that? Now, why did he have to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb? That's a question. Okay, what is a Nazarite? A Nazarite is a special kind of vow that was taken. Numbers chapter 6, it was a vow that men and women took. Paul took the Nazarite vow. Bible's very clear. As a matter of fact, um, one of the reasons why Paul was arrested in the book of Acts is because when he went to the temple to end his vow and cut his hair, He had three other uh, men of God with him that were also Jews that were they falsely accused and said that they're Gentiles. And so this is what caused the riot. But the whole purpose of Paul being in the temple was he was going to end his Nazarite vow, all right, that he had unto God a consecration vow for 30 days because that's the usual time of the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was usually a vow that a person took for 30 days. It was a consecration vow, and it would usually be for a very important, impossible situation. So most likely, Paul, when he took the Nazarite vow, was battling strongholds in some city. We don't know because the Bible doesn't go into detail as to why he took the vow. All we know is that he had a vow, the Bible says, and he went into the temple and he brought Timothy and other Gentiles, uh, excuse me, other Jews who were from the diaspora into the temple and false accusers said that he's bringing uh, non-Jews, he's bringing Gentiles into the temple and they weren't Gentiles, they were just Greek speaking Jews. All right, do you see that? And they caused a riot, and they lied about Paul, okay, because that was not true. And so um, Samson was called by God to take this vow, and it was going to be a lifetime vow. It was not a 30-day vow for Samson. And the sign of when someone had taken a Nazarite vow is that they would not cut their hair for 30 days, This is why Samson never cut his hair his whole life, because his whole life was a vow. Okay, the whole life he was under the Nazarite vow. Are you getting it? If you are, say amen. Amen. Even before he was born, his mother had to take the Nazarite vow while he was in the womb of his mother. So that even growing as a fetus, he was a Nazarite. God said, even in his development in the womb, he had to be a Nazarite. That's why she couldn't drink any wine or strong drink. She had to be separated the whole time she was carrying Samson. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay, so Samson had this incredible vow, and why? Because no one in Israel wanted to fight the Philistines. Okay, the entire nation was objecting to any confrontation with the Philistines. They wanted the Philistines to rule over them. They preferred no confrontation and let the Philistines rule over them. So God had to raise up one man, on an individual basis, to stir up strife with the Philistines in a legal manner so that he could take the vengeance of God out on the Philistines himself as one man. If you notice in the book of Judges, the apathy continues every generation and it accelerates to the point at the time of, of, of Samson's life the apathy was so strong that if you look at Judges chapter fifteen, just look at it for a moment. Judges chapter fifteen, you will see that when Samson began a, a, a confrontation with the Philistines, that the Bible says the men of Judah came down to get him. Or the men of the Bible says in verse nine, the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah, and they spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? And they said to bind Samson, we are come up as he has done to us. As, as so shall we do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock at Etim and said to Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that you have done unto us? And he said, he said unto them, as they have done unto me, so have I done unto them. His whole, his whole purpose, his whole ability to fight the Philistines was midah keneged midah, measure for measure. So they did a measure against him; he would do a measure against them. And the Bible tells us. And the Bible says in verse 12, and they said unto him, we are come down to bind thee, to deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear unto me that when you, you will not fall upon me yourselves. What's going on here? Did you actually read? Did you hear what the Israel said to Samson? They came down his own countrymen to tie him up. Because they didn't want a confrontation with the Philistines. They came down, 3,000 men of Judah, his own countrymen. Say this with me. Sometimes the church folk can be the ones that tie you up. I said sometimes the church folk can be the ones to tie you up because they don't like to get out of their religious little thing. They don't want anything out of order. They want want just a little bit of formal formal. life okay they like everything up and down in and out don't mess it up just let me live my little religious life i hope somebody is hearing this today and they said we have come down to bind you his own countrymen that we can deliver you into the hands of the philistines your public enemy number one not among the philistines among the jews and, and Samson said, just swear to me, you're not going to fall on me yourselves. Because why? Those Philistines are around. Woo-hoo! If those Philistines are around, the power of God's going to come on Samson. All he needs to do is see one Philistine, and the power of the Holy Ghost comes on him. Yeah. And so he said, swear to me that you don't follow me yourselves. Why is he saying that? He said, because when the anointing comes, he doesn't know who's touching him. He's just gonna, everybody that's near him is just gonna go down. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. He's not going to have time to say, oh, there's a few men from Judah. Let me just uh, separate these men from the Philistines. No, when that power comes, child, you better learn how to flow under the anointing. When that power falls, you better be able to move with the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God moves, you better move. Hello. And so what happened? The Bible tells us they tied him up. He wasn't doing anything. He just, okay, go ahead, tie me up. Okay, so they tied him up, and the Bible says, hallelujah. And they spoke, him, and the Bible says, no, but we're going to bind you fast. They didn't care. They just, they just detested him. They said, we're not, we're, we don't care for near you. We're going to tie you up anyway. Uh, and they said, we're going to bind you up fast. And, and surely you, uh, we will not kill you, but we're just going to bind you up. We're not going to kill you. We're just going to bind you up. Hello? Isn't that just like church folk? We're not going to kill you. We're just going to bind you up. I don't know if you heard me or not. And so here we see um, the, the Bible tells us here, dear, dear saints, the Bible says, and they bound him with two cords and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, With the and the cords that were on his arms became as flax that burnt with fire, and his bands were loosed from off him. And he found the jawbone of a donkey in the rest of history. There were no more Philistines around him.
0: Yeah.
1: He was the sign of consecration in an apathetic generation. I said he was the sign of consecration in an apathetic generation. Say it. He was the sign of consecration in an apathetic generation. That's how he got his power. He didn't take vitamins, he was not a weightlifter. As a matter of fact, in the natural, he was not a very strong, tall man. The spirit of God came upon him. But you see, every person has a secret to the anointing in their life. The secret to the anointing in Samson's life was his consecration. Through his consecration, he was able to bring down Philistines supernaturally. Every person has a secret in their life by which the presence of God enters. And you need to learn what your secret to the anointing is in your life. And once you find that secret... Once you find the secret of the anointing, you cannot let it go. You see, for some people, the secret of the anointing is your life of sacrifice. To another person, the secret of the anointing in your life is showing kindness to everybody. And as soon as you start getting grouchy, you better watch it. As soon as you start thinking, well, this all this wonderful stuff is happening to me because I'm me. Just let our guard down a little bit. And we don't realize what the secret to the anointing was in our life. And why God was opening so many doors. And why God was opening doors of destiny. The secret in Ruth's life to the anointing was taking care of Naomi. It wasn't because she was Ruth. There's a lot of gals out there from Moab that were very kind, very nice. But the secret was she was taking care of God's servant, Naomi. Hello. Esther's secret to the anointing was her respect, honor, and love for Mordecai. If she would have become so prideful over her position, if she no longer respected him because she's the queen of Persia, she would have lost the anointing. There is a secret to the anointing in every person's life here. And if you do not know the secret to the anointing, you will not be able to get to that level that God wants you to know because you have to protect it. So if you don't know what it is, how can you protect it? The secret to Samson's anointing. He knew it. He was not questioning. It was his consecration. And in the book of Judges, to tell Delilah the secret of his anointing is spiritually equivalent to surrendering his anointing. So when he told her the secret of his anointing, he surrendered his anointing to the enemy. See, what the enemy wants is the secret of your anointing. That's what he wants more than anything. Some of you, the secret to your anointing is your prayer life. Others of you, the secret of your anointing is your humility. Others of you, the secret of your anointing is who God put you with to test you, to try you. The secret to your anointing. Secret to David's anointing? Saul. How you handled him how you respected him even though he was an enemy to you. That was the secret to his anointing. The devil wants the secret to your anointing. And he will use every wicked, foul spirit to get it. You see, the the whole purpose of Samson's life with consecration in an apathetic generation the moment he gets apathetic he loses the anointing he succumbs to the culture i don't know if you heard me i said he succumbs to the culture i said he succumbs to the culture let us just look and see how delilah did it how tishabov happened to Samson. Oh, it's a grievous dishabov. But guess what? It doesn't end with dishabav. It ends with restoration. Yeah. And it ends with power. Let's just look and see in Judges 16. We're almost finished. In Judges chapter 16, we will see. The Bible says. And it came to pass in verse 4, afterward, what does it say afterward? When he was older, when he was weak. Came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Again, we see the prophet Samuel, he was very famous for changing a person's real name to show us the prophetic nature of the person. And in this case, we don't know if her name really was Delilah. Because her name is so prophetic. Because the, this name, Delilah, the prefix means to weaken, to make weak. She, she made him, she took his strength. All right? So it's a spirit. It's a spirit that takes your secret, the secret of your strength, the secret of your, your anointing. Came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, entice him and see wherein his great strength lies. And by what means we may prevail against him, that we might bind him to afflict him. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to bind you to afflict you. And we will give every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. You're going to be the richest lady in Philistia after you betray Samson. And Delilah said to Samson, tell me, I pray thee, where your great strength lies, that you might be bound to afflict you. And Samson, this goes on for days. Notice she is going to play on his emotions. That's where she's going to weaken him. It's through the emotion. She's going to say, you don't love me. First, she's going to start out angry. Then she's going to move from anger to feeling, making him feel guilty and saying, you don't love me. If you really love me, you would tell me the secret of your strength. That's all she wants to know is what is the secret of his strength. I want you to know that surrendering the secret of that strength meant surrendering his anointing to the enemy and the enemy will do everything in his power to get the secret of your strength. He will use people's emotions around you that you will feel guilty and not serve God anymore. He will use manipulation. He will cause people to become angry around you. He will use every emotion that he can possibly use to manipulate you into surrendering your calling to God. But today I've got a word for you. Do not surrender the secret of your strength the enemy. Somebody ought to give God the praise. The spirit of Delilah could be around many of you because the spirit of Delilah is not a woman. The spirit of Delilah is a spirit of end times. It's a spirit that knows how to manipulate your emotions, how to make you feel guilty, how to make you become lukewarm, how to make you give up your service to God because all it will take is just a few times of you beginning to train yourself to believe a lie. I hope somebody is hearing this today. And so we see that being so conditioned to compromise, he is being so conditioned to compromise by just being around Delilah. Well, tell that girl, honey, it's been nice knowing you. But I've got a work for God to do. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. You cannot play around with a spirit. You got to just exit. You got to get out of there. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You cannot compromise your faith nor can you compromise your position for a spirit. You got you to stand your ground. But being so conditioned to compromise little by little, this di- the dissipation of the anointing started to lift off his life. And so Samson never corrected his own feelings He just allowed himself to start being controlled and feel guilty and feel that now he's indebted to Delilah in some way. And so Samson never corrected. And so guess what? He slowly accepted compromise as the new normal. Let me say that again. He never corrected, so he slowly accepted compromise as the new normal. I've got a word for everybody in this church. It is not the new normal. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though the culture may be compromising, it is not what God has called us to do. God wants us to live on fire for him. But we see this slow, gradual, day by day being hindered by Delilah so that he begins to believe it. He accepts it. Say this with me I will, if I don't correct, I, don't, I, don't correct. I will gradually accept. Will gradually accept. Mm-hmm. That means when you start feeling, well, I guess it's all right. It's not going to hurt a little bit if I don't get up and pray this morning. Everything's going good, so I don't really need to. God took that trial away from me, so I might as well take a break. woohoo! hoo you just opened the door to a stronghold. Then the next day you come and say, well, It was all right yesterday for me to do that. So the Lord will forgive me if I don't fulfill my consecration to God today. It's okay. Everything's going good. Before you know it, it's a month. Now you've got a whole new way of living, and it's the new normal. The new normal. And if we look back in the church and just look at some pictures, and we just look back before the pandemic, maybe five years before, and how the state of the church was then, now we're on a breathing machine. I'm telling you the truth. The church is near at a point, beloved, of life support because of our lack of consecration and dedication to the Lord. Let us stand and let us ask the Lord today. You see, the Bible tells us that he gave the secret of his strength to Delilah. She pressed him daily and vexed his soul unto death. He couldn't take it anymore. She vexed his soul unto death. And so he said... I've been a Nazarite from my mother's womb. And if I be shaven, meaning to cut the locks meant no more consecration. I'll be just like any other normal person. I'll just live an ordinary life like everybody else. If I live an ordinary life like everybody else, then I will be weak like any other man. The Bible says she made him sleep on her knees, spiritual apathy. And while he was asleep, all she had to do, those crazy Philistines, they've been fighting him for years, thousands at a time, and they couldn't, They could not, they could not stop the invincible Samson, but all it took was surrendering the secret of the anointing to the enemy one time and everything in his world changed overnight. She took those scissors and she cut his hair. It's not some magical formula in a hair. It represents consecration. He took those scissors and cut them That was just an outward sign of what already was happening in his life. He already lost it. He already lost the strength of God when he surrendered the secret of the anointing He had already become common. But he was so used to compromise that he didn't recognize the spirit had already left him. We can mechanically use the Holy Ghost. We can mechanically work it up, and it looks like the anointing, but it's not the anointing. And the Bible says she cut his hair. And the Bible says she said, the Samson, Samson, the Philistines, upon you. And, he be- and she began to afflict him, and he didn't even have the strength to fight off Delilah. And they came, they tied him up, they cut out his eyes, they blinded him, brought him down to the prison house. But guess what? His hair began to grow long again. That means he got his consecration back. How Philistines in his death than in his whole life. He took down 30,000 Philistines at one time in his death. The day Delilah cut his hair was Tishabav. above. The day we surrender the secret of our strength to the devil, it begins at Tisha B'av in our life. Raise those hands toward heaven and begin to start praying in the spirit. Heavenly Father, tonight, in the name of Jesus, show us the secret of our anointing. Show us what you want us to do to bring us so close. That is the secret of our success, the secret of our strength, the secret of walking with you, the secret of having favor wherever we go, the secret of our mission, the secret of our destiny. God, in the name of Jesus,
0: Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the Suffering Church, and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the Donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.